Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Medical Humanities uh, podcast series. Uh, this is uh, Khalid Ali, the film and media correspondent at Medical Humanities Journal. It's a great pleasure and honor to have with us uh, today Sarah Gavron, an eminent British film director, award-winning of short uh, films and feature films. Uh, Sarah, it's great to have you here with us today. Um, I would like you first to... Uh, Give us a bit of background about uh, yourself, about your films, and the motivation behind you telling stories about women from diverse backgrounds, British women, Asian, African, and Afro-Caribbean women across different age ranges. Sarah, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, it's great to be here. So, yeah, I began um, making films quite a while ago now. Um, I first went into documentaries and worked for the BBC as a researcher and then an assistant director. And eventually I realised through that period that I was really, really fascinated by fiction. And that's where I wanted to head. So I, I trained at the National Film and Television School for three years and made a number of short films. And it was really only my graduation film that broke through and went to lots of festivals and started winning some prizes and getting noticed. And that allowed me to go into rooms to talk to commissioners about longer form films. And the first feature length film I made was a film called This Little Life, which is the story of a woman who loses her premature baby. And it's all set in a hospital and based on a true um, story of a woman called Rosemary Kay, who wrote a book first and we adapted it into a screenplay. After that, I went on to make Brick Lane, based on the Monica Alley book that deals with immigrant communities, as you said, from Bangladesh in this in that film. And then after that, I actually made a documentary. I had some children and uh, young children, and I felt like I needed to do something that had more flexibility, and I wanted to return to the documentary form. And my husband is Danish and always been fascinated by Greenland. So we went off to Greenland and uh, with our small children and went to a village of Inuit, um, a community right in the north of Greenland and spent sort of on and off over a year and a half um, working with them and documenting the life in a village that was kind of on the edge for various reasons, globalization, climate change. And after that, I worked on Suffragette, which is another woman, um, you know, story with women at the centre. And, and now finally, I've made Rocks with a in a creative collaboration with a whole team of young women who worked on it right from the outset with us to build the story. So that brings me up to date. Fantastic. Thank you very much for this comprehensive uh, uh, journey through your uh, uh, educational and, and, and film career, filmmaking career. Um, Women have been, yes, as, as you said, if it's documentary or feature films or short films, at the center of your uh, storytelling uh, journey. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, This Little Life? I believe it was made in 2003 as a TV made, uh, for, a film made for TV, but then it broke into, you know, film feature film festival circuits and so forth. I'd like you to tell us a bit about the process of adapting uh, the book between two 
eternity soul story from Rosemary Kay, uh, adapting a, this particular book with the, the traumatic experience and the uh, actually the positive, the, the rewarding aspects of, of the experience as well for the, both parents, the mom and the husband of mm-hmm. uh, this premature child in an intensive care unit for babies. Yeah, no, it was an extraordinary journey. So Rosemary Kay, who had this young baby that tragically died after living for almost five months in intensive care and was born prematurely at 24 weeks. So she had written a book, as you said, called Between Two Eternities, that was such an imaginative work of um, uh, work because it documented the whole experience from the perspective of the baby. And it was so unique and so affecting and moving. And you saw the world through the eyes and you realized the sort of what the parents were going through on a day to day, minute by minute, often um, basis. And so when we came to adapting that with Rosemary as the screenwriter now, um, so she had this kind of dual role as someone who'd been through the experience, but also someone who was adapting it into a script from her own book. Um, we realized how difficult it was to render that on film um, in terms of the perspective. So what we did was work, we worked with a brilliant script consultant called Howard Schumann, who worked very closely with us and Rosemary. And, and he suggested that we take the perspective of the mother, at least mostly. We still had the baby there and the baby was very much a focus. And you occasionally heard the baby speak, which was, you know, either for real or a figment of her imagination as you interpret it. And she yeah. saw the, the fantasy figure of the boy as she imagined he would grow up into through the corridors of the hospital. Um, so that was our kind of way in that unlocked that story for us. But along with that, you, you again, you captured uh, very sensitively and realistically the world, the intense pressure under which the pediatric doctors and the nursing staff on the pediatric intensive care unit. Tell me again a bit about the interaction with uh, how did the characters come to, to live and screen, obviously based on Rosemary's, uh, Rosemary Kay narrative and, and, and experience, but how did you get uh, that uh, aspect of the professional side uh, so poignantly? Well, yeah, so she had, you know, she was a great observer and she had really logged every little interaction and every moment in that unit and all the nurses and all their different approaches and the doctors and the language they use, the medical language and what uh, medicine they're administering and what they're monitoring oxygen and, you know, heartbeat. And she was really across it all. So it was very sort of precise in that respect. When we came to filming it, we did have medical consultants with us all the time on set who were saying oh well if I was in the north this is the way I'd do it and and we had to um, in terms of the babies filming the babies that was a real challenge because we created an animatronic model baby that and when we had puppeteers underneath it making it move and cry and behave like a baby because of course we didn't want to film in a set with a real baby although originally we did then we went into a unit that very generously allowed us to film some real living babies in in units so we we intercut that footage but it was really about um listening to rosemary listening to the book and listening to the medical consultants and i went into a lot of hospitals i went to the royal free and stood there for a day watching the way the nurses work and the actors um kate ashfield and david morrissey who played the parents came in and peter mullen who played the consultant all came into the royal free and visited the unit there um the premature baby unit so that they could observe what went on 
fantastic and, and there, there was there was a sense of yes a collaborative uh, nature nature but there was an important uh, uh, dimension to the story of the two mothers uh, bonding and supporting each other they t- both have uh, premature babies in the intensive care unit that was a very again um sensitive portrayal of peer support uh, uh, if we can say that yeah absolutely i mean that was vital that peer support so there was another mother there um she was an asian mother who had a um a young little baby and the baby actually died early on well midway through the story which was of course a terrible tragedy and seen through the eyes of um our character Sadie who was the mother of Saul in the story so and those mothers had bonded over the minutiae of their ups and downs and how each day there was hope and then there was the hope was dashed and minute by minute things could change and so yes it was very important to represent that as you say peer peer relationship peer support and you said at the beginning that that this little life opened uh, you know doors for you to make your second uh, feature feature film a brick lane uh, adaptation of monica ali's novel uh, about this particular uh, bangladeshi woman living in london i'd like to ask you about the challenging aspects of telling a very personal uh, bangladeshi women's story living in london dreaming of going back home and how you address the cultural and communication barriers while preparing the film and while filming yeah as you say there are all those um hurdles and challenges to making that film and i mean i'm a londoner and i've grown up around those communities but i'm absolutely not part of those communities so i was very reliant on a number of things one was on the source material which was monica ali's fantastic book um which was a bestseller at the time you know it was very popular brick lane and then also i worked with two associate directors who had a foot in those communities. I mean, Rahul Amin, who was an East London filmmaker himself, who was of Bangladeshi descent, and um, and also a woman called Sangeeta Datta, who um, is British-based, um, Indian, but all from Bengal and knew that Bangladeshi community very well. So they were they were advising me and on when it came to language and when it came to nuance and when it came to the set build and all sorts of things. And I was going to visit people in the community and we had a, we had some great team members from that community too. So it, I think it's very important as a director, you know, you're, you're a storyteller, but you're not, I wasn't authoring that story. It was very much Monica Ali's, she was authoring it. So I was coming in as someone who was kind of building up the world, but consulting heavily. It's obvious that it's a women's world in in essence. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, so, so that uh, I'd like to ask about women supporting the, the, you know each other behind the camera in developing the film, voicing those stories, and in front of the camera. Uh, but your focus, particularly on underrepresented, marginalised women communities in Brick Lane, in Rocks later, and maybe suffragette historical narrative back in the. Uh, mm-hmm. early 1900s of uh, uh, British women in London. So, so the women support in, in the process and in the making of films. Yes, I, I, I'm always fascinated by stories of people that we haven't seen on our screens before. And, you know, historically, there is a lot of women who we haven't seen. They haven't been the centre of narratives often. So I've been very drawn to those stories. And when it came after Brick Lane, yes, as you say, I moved on to Suffragette. And what was fascinating was reading the testimonies of the working women, Abby Morgan, the right screenwriter, and I both went into libraries and there were these 
you know, handwritten testimonies of women who were force fed and women who were imprisoned. And a lot of them were working class women who had come from factories and they had a lot at stake, you know, if they, they would lose their jobs and it was very, very, very tough. There were also middle and upper class women involved in that struggle. So it really um, crossed class boundaries. But we wanted to focus on what we called the ordinary women doing the extraordinary things. I'm fascinated by, by some of the uh, details that are not, um, you know, common knowledge or widely known about the force feeding for women who went on hunger strike in prison at, at that time. And that that was an eye opener to me. And it links into the broader aspects of, of uh, human rights and social justice. Yes, it was for me. It was enormously shocking, actually, to realise the extent of it. I mean, lots of women were force-fed, and not only force-fed once or twice, but really repeatedly in the most mm. brutal manner. And it, you know, lungs were punctured, and they suffered a lot of injuries that were ongoing for years afterwards. And it was a sort of well, it's been recognised as a form of torture now, of course. So. Mm. And and also to to understand the police brutality as well. That was a, another shocking thing that, you know, there were instances almost kind of Bloody Sunday like where they were attacked by the police outside Parliament. And so it was it was really a revelation finding out all that. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it shows. And, and I'm again intrigued by, by the fact that uh, suffragette, uh, you know, Brick Lane, uh, although they're telling very particular stories, but they, the particular stories of, uh, you know, women in, in, in London, either uh, you know british uh, women or you know coming from bangladeshi or other of african caribbean origins but they really connected with a, a world audience and universal audience across the festivals and across so tell us about the reception of those very personal stories but in a different uh, context or from different people from different uh, backgrounds particularly women I always find that the most surprising thing. You'll make a film that's very particular and specific to a community in a world. And then as you find when you go to international festivals and you interact with your audiences, you see that it's translating and it's speaking. I remember with Brick Lane in Spain, I went to San Sebastian and there were some elderly women came up to me and said it was their lives. You know? And you think that's yeah, so yeah. that they can connect with it. And we had the same with rocks. We went to Toronto and we did an afternoon screening of, you know, mostly elderly white um, viewer audience. But they really yeah. connected with rocks, a story about teenage girls in East London. So I, I, I think the particular, in a way, is the, is the key. That somehow makes it universal and speak to people. And you just have to sort of stick to your guns and, and stay true to the world. And then it will speak. Absolutely. And, and I think it is, uh, uh, the connection and the bonding with those characters, the young uh, girl in rocks who, who became a, a mother uh, for her younger brothers when her mother uh, disappears, you know, following her uh, mental illness. Or so. so it's it's a it's a very, it's a heartbreaking story at the core of it. But uh, uh, but alongside the, the story of Rox, you know, the central character, the young girl trying to look after her uh, brother and avoid being sent into into social care and into foster care. Um, there were a, a collection or a group of, of young women, her friends who supported her, who uh, bullied her, who abused her as well. Uh, what would you change if you had the chance to do something different with, with Rocks? Would you be tempted to tell the story of another one of Rocks' friends, uh, her mum, for example, or the social worker? Or have you done uh, that part of London, East London's and the, the, their socioeconomic background and the interaction on, um, of that on their lives? 
What was really striking working with those girls, as you say, was you could have told so many stories. Um, we were in the workshop, you know, there was Kosar Ali, who plays Samaya, her Somali best friend. And there was um, a, a, a girl who identifies as Polish gypsy who had a very rich background and so many stories coming out of her family and culture. And you and a Bangladeshi girl, you could have told any of those stories. And I think sure. you could have with the rocks two, rocks three, rocks four, you know. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, and I hope that what one thing we really wanted, our ambition making the film, was that young people watching it would say, oh, I can now tell my, you know, well, feel feel that it was worth and that they should tell their own stories because I hope that it's not just a blip and that it's one story that comes out of that part, those communities. I hope that it inspires lots of stories to come out because it's rich territory and, you know, we'll have a richer industry if we have more stories like that. Indeed, it was uh, the, it, all the characters, including we can't dismiss the the, the young boy Rock's brother. They're such <laughs> rich characters, and I think that they're uh, the, you know ready for a TV <laughs> series to 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 follow the <laughs> to follow their journey. It ends on a very poignant, maybe sad but hopeful ending as well. So. Uh, I do recommend you know the listeners to go and watch all your films and Rocks in particular. Um, Sarah, what's next for you? What issues or perhaps stories uh, you're committed to do next? Hmm, good question, actually. <laughs> I find it, uh, it, it's really, really hard to leave one baby behind and move on to another one. And, uh, you know, I've been with Rocks for many, many years, and I'm still very committed to its journey into the world and the young people. Having said that, I'm exploring um, ideas around um, people, you know, more around women, more around underrepresented communities. Um, and I will, they're early development, but I will let you know when there's something to talk about yeah. in a more fully formed way. <laughs> Thank you so much. And and we uh, we can't wait for, for your next uh, creative project, being that a film or a TV series, a documentary. Uh, the richness of your uh, film characters and the stories you tell focusing on women as we said it's universal and uh, it's been a great pleasure uh, Sarah to talk to you today and uh, and uh, we look forward to more films a lot of them you know that we uh, watch and enjoy and stimulate us to, to engage in discussion and and, and, and reflection on, on those so thank you ever so much it's been a pleasure talking to you and and hearing more about your uh, work Thank you so much. Really enjoyable to talk to you too and, and to do it from a different perspective, from the film industry perspective. So thank you for this. Thank you very much, Sarah. All the best for your next project and projects. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We are also on Twitter as medhums underscore BMJ.